0: morning. morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity, he is God the Son, and he is 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man, and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are Christians. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord, because Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. The Lord is not a thing. The Lord is not a concept. He's not a higher power. He is God. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. That's why we come here to study His Word. And You can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is the mind of Christ. It is his exact thinking. So welcome to today's lesson. Today's Bible lesson, religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Well, if God was a songwriter and he was going to sing a song for today's lesson, he'd borrow a tune from Billy Joel. He would sing, Don't Go Changing to Try and Please Me. You never have to work that hard. I love you just the way you are. Or as he says it in Psalm 46, verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God, the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in this life without the Lord's permission. And in today's lesson, our God encourages us to be satisfied with our choices in life and to come to him as we are because he loves us just that way. Well, let's begin with some music. The Lord wants us to use his person, his divine power, and his resources. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 say this, Finally, believers in Christ, be strong in union with the Lord and through the strength of his might. Ephesians six eleven. Pick up and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And that's what the group Unspoken recommends, too, in their song, Human Condition.
1: I fake my confidence and put it on like armor. Five foot nine, so I try to stand a little taller. To measure up, I gotta work a little harder. It's the Human Condition. I do it all to make it perfect for the picture Pretty smile, let me find the perfect filter If they believe it, maybe i believe it with them That's the human condition Lord, help me I'm so tired of pretending I can hold it together When I know that I can't Lord, show me Just as I am, you love me, you love me, you love me, just as I am, you love me, you love me, you love me, just as I am. A crown of thorns and a cross that was too heavy. My jaded heart to wanna wear it, needed saving. You could have turned, could have run, coulda left me in my, my human condition. And if I'm really being honest, every day I struggle with the promise. That all I am is all you ever wanted, ever wanted Lord help me, I'm so tired of pretending I can hold it together, when I know that I can't Lord show me, I don't have to be worthy It's because of your mercy You love me, you love me just just as I am
0: Wonder you picked that song. You like those quick-ending songs. Just as I am. And what are you doing now? You got. Yeah, you were behind a little bit on the slide. Sorry, sorry. We understand. We get it. Yeah, she did. She was a little fast on the trigger there. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the trials of this life. Thank you for showing us the way to overcome the trials through our relationship with your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you for seeing us differently than we see ourselves. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy and your unconditional love. Father, when we go through the trials of this life, it hurts. Help us to avoid becoming bitter as we go through the workouts in your spiritual gymnasium. Give us the mindset to embrace the pain. Show us how not to medicate the pain, but to endure it, knowing that your plan for us always makes us victorious. Help us to remember that the deeper sorrow carves into our being, the deeper will be the space where your fullness can fill the sorrow space with joy. And give us the patience to wait for you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Well, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul begins addressing the problems brought up to him in the form of questions by Chloe, and by other people concerning the believers in Christ in the church at first century Corinth. Corinth is the Las Vegas of its day. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And Paul is interested in correcting erroneous thinking that is being housed in the minds of these new believers. So here's an overview of the remaining topics in chapter 7. We're clicking through these babies right quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 17 to 24. The guiding principle is remain as you are. Remain as you are. Reminds me of the Jack and, Jack in the Box commercial from a long time ago. Come as you like, come as you are to Jack in the Box. Yeah, you don't remember. I do. First Corinthians chapter seven verses twenty-five to forty. We'll talk about the advisability of marriage for those who are engaged. And for the widows. So let's look at what we've studied so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 to 16, and then we'll move into today's section. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, such as, isn't it the highest, most virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman? You remember I said that anytime we see now concerning in, the, in chapters 7 through 16, coming up, Paul is addressing a specific question that he was asked. So now, concerning the things about which you wrote, such as, Isn't it the highest, most virtuous good for a married man not to touch a married woman? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Because of the temptations of sexual immoralities, like fornication, which is premarital sex, and purchasing sex for hire with strangers, which is called prostitution or soliciting prostitution. Each man is to have sex with his own wife, and each woman is to have sex with her own husband. Yes, God created sex, God sanctions sex, God recommends that married people have sex on a regular basis. Amen? Yeah. yeah. First Corinth <laughs> First Corinthians chapter seven verse three. The husband, then, must fulfill his sexual obligation to his wife by making himself available to her for sexual intercourse. And likewise, also, the wife must fulfill her sexual obligation to her husband by making herself available to him for sexual intercourse. Funny, funniest thing to me that parents very rarely say anything like that to their children. Very few parents teach that to their children, and they, they ought to be teaching this to their children because, and as a matter of fact, I don't think parents teach their children very much about sex because, as adults, we're always doing our little silly giggle <laughs> every time the word sex comes up, as opposed to addressing it as a normal part of what we do. And in Satan's kingdom, it's turned into this nasty, dirty, bad, and wrong thing, and it is anything but that. It's one of the most fun experiences that you can have in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband has authority over her body. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife has authority over his body. So the sexual relationship is a break from the authority orientation of marriage where the husband has final say. That does not apply in the sexual realm. In the sexual realm, the word is mutual. It's what they both decide. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 brings that whole idea to a close, which is stop depriving one another, a command directly from God, except by mutual agreement for a time. There's that word, mutual, so that you may withdraw to devote yourself to prayer and then have sexual intercourse again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And a lack of self-control is because you are aflame with passion. It is absolutely normal and not sinful to have sexual desire. (gasps) Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, it is. All right, First Corinthians chapter seven, verse six initiates the next part, uh, the next section in First Corinthians chapter seven. Now I, Paul, say the following things not as a command, but by agreement, a choice first corinthians seven seven I wish that all of you were as I am, and Paul was single and celibate. He did not burn with sexual passion, however. Each Christian has his very own grace gift from God. One has a gift in this manner, and another has a gift in that manner. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. But I, Paul, say to the unmarried and to widows, especially young widows, that it's good for them to remain single and celibate, even as I am single and celibate. 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they are absolutely not able... At exercising self-control, in other words, if they burn aflame with sexual passion, here's the imperative mood, the mood of command, let them marry. Why? Because it's better to marry than to burn. It's better to be married than to be aflame with sexual passion. And that does not mean that that is all marriage is about. So that doesn't mean that Today, when you decide that you are single and you are aflame with passion on a regular basis, that you should go out and walk up to somebody and say, hey, you want to get married? Because marriage is a lot more than just the sexual relationship. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. But to the married Christian, I give orders and not I, Paul, but the Lord gives the orders that the Christian wife should not initiate divorce from her husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, but if the Christian wife does initiate divorce, she must remain unmarried, or she has the choice to be reconciled to her husband. And the Christian husband should not divorce his wife. In other words, he shall not send her away. 1 Corinthians 7:12. but to the rest, Christians married to unbelievers, I, Paul, say, it's not the Lord saying it that if any Christian brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him in a committed marriage, he must not divorce her. Paul is now making application of things that he's learned from God, which demonstrates to us that there are some things in the Bible that will be quite explicit, and then there are some things that are implicit, and we have to use our brain and our free will based on what we're learning from God. God's amazing that way. He's not an enabler. He is an empowerer. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. And a Christian woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her in a committed marriage, she must not send her husband away in divorce. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the spiritual power of his Christian wife, And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the spiritual power of her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean. But through sanctification, now they are holy. All that means is that God thought of everything. And the Corinthians were worried that if they were believers in Christ and they married a pagan, many of whom were idol worshippers, that it would defile them and it would defile their children. Paul says no. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 Yet if the unbelieving spouse initiates a divorce let him leave that's a command the Christian brother or sister is not enslaved that is is not required to stay in the marriage when the unbelieving spouse wants to leave but God has called us to peace that he wants us in harmony not in discord and division 1 Corinthians 7:16 for how can you know, O oh wife, whether or not you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O oh husband, whether or not you will save your unbelieving wife? All right, that's great. So that's what we've studied over the last couple of weeks. Now let's get into the passage for today. And that begins at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, and extends to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24. It says this, and now this is the continuation so it is not separate. So it's the continuation of what we've been talking about so far. So first, how can you know, O oh wife? Oh, I already did that. Okay, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. 1 Corinthians seven eighteen. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. That's the imperative mood, command. Has anyone been called an uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. That's a command. 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping of the commandments of God. 1 Corinthians 7, 20. Each man must remain in that condition, in which he was called. One of the best things you can do in this life when everything's all up for grabs is to maintain the status quo. Just chill. That's what he's saying here. 1 Corinthians 7.21 Were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. Again, a command. 1 Corinthians 7.22 For he who was called in the Lord while a slave... Is the Lord's freed man, and likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 23. "You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men." First Corinthians 7:24 finishes it up. So brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which He was called. All right, so when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll study this section verse by verse to learn what this section of the passage has to teach us. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me
2: There's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line, With all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you read. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright and
1: David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose
2: my name, well that's
3: fine with me. I'm living for the
2: world to see, nobody but Jesus, so let me go.
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17, here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about giving. He says, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, he's talking about his first missionary journey, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone Philippians four sixteen for even in Thessalonica in Paul's second missionary journey, you sent a gift more than once for my needs, twice as a matter of fact. Philippians chapter four, verse seventeen. Not that I seek the gift itself for, for myself, even though I appreciate it, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. From God when you give. I know what Paul means. One of the great pleasures of my life is giving. It's a pleasure for me over the years to give my time, talent, and treasure so that anyone who wants to learn about the Lord can do so free of charge. And one of the things I most appreciate is that you have joined me in this pursuit by giving yourself. I don't give of myself once in a while, I give of myself all the time, because that's what the Lord wants from us, all. So if you listen to Barah Ministries, I'm asking you to support Barah Ministries, if you listen to Barah Ministries. I found out yesterday, by the way, that one of the little girls who was part of uh, Barah Ministries when it first started, who's not a little girl anymore, her name is Nicole, it used to be Shempf, I don't know what her married name is, but She's still listening to Barah Ministries, and that's, that was pretty gratifying to realize that. So, and I know that I know Bara Ministries has a lot of closet listeners, all those people who said they hate me and left, but they're really still listening on the sneak. I'm gonna find a way to black them out. By <laughs> the way, if you were at Barah Ministries before, you're listening now, you're deleted. So anyway, I'm not really gonna do that. But I want you to make giving to Barah Ministries a regular part of your routine. Another great pleasure of my life is to watch how God blesses your giving and makes it have an impact all over the world, in places all over the world, with people you know nothing about. So let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message.
4: Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And as as I left the lesson last week, I was left with just one thing, you know, do not separate, do not divorce. And it's just kind of a, a long pattern in this that I've seen from Paul, just that he wants to unify the body of Christ. He wants them to stay united. He wants them to stick together. You know, we've seen that he wanted them to avoid coming together in Corinth. He wanted them to avoid sex and the drugs and the violence and stuff that was happening there. He wanted them to avoid lawsuits. You know, don't don't start coming at each other and fighting and bickering over little bits of money. Just let it go. And, you know, you see it with the, also with the divorce. You know, stay, stay together. Just get through it. Just chill, like Pastor said. But, you know, so over this, Paul's just trying to unite the body of Christ. And we see that, you know don't seek out your lusts. He says, you know, it's basically avoid the pitfalls of Corinth and engage the blessings of Christ. He wants us to avoid the separation of Satan's world and unite with the Lord's family and avoid these things. And it's, it's pretty simple. Um, so what, what's he saying? Unity, right? Unity, unity, unite, reunite. But it's kind of boring, I think. I mean, June's falling asleep. I think that a lot of our blessings washed over us, sanctification and redemption and we're holy and we're chosen, we're chosen by God, oh, that's just no big deal. And I think unity gets the same rap. Unity gets washed over. So rather than push unity, I'd rather push what I've found to produce unity. Tune into Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood, we believers in Christ shall be saved from the wrath of God the Father through our union with Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if, for the sake of argument, if and it's true, while we were the enemies of God, we were reconciled to God the Father through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ's life. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. And not only this, much more, but we believers in Christ also exult in God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. There it is, the reconciliation. Restoring friendly relations. And that's what we do in relationships. That's what we should do with lawsuits, with divorces, and with sex, I guess. Restore friendly relations, right? And, you know, so we need to reconcile like God. So, I mean, that's one of those things we just need to have in our mind is reconcile. And I think it's kind of a more fun word and interesting I guess than unity maybe you'll remember that or it'll stick with you better you know when we forgive you're asking, you're asking them not to change when you reconcile with someone you're not saying hey change and do this and then I'll love you. you're you saying I know you're silly I know you put the laundry in the wrong basket and you ruin clothes all the time but it's fine I'll forgive you you know and we see in the Bible we, we should just accept people like God does for us um, we saw with Paul what would Paul do did a horrible acts to the Christians. God said, ah, oh, hey, now you're my man. Reconcile. Perfect. David. David did a bunch of dumb stuff. You're still my man. Um, like, what about the fallen angels? It started it all. God allowed, allowed them the chance to come back. He reconciled with them. And so it's just a simple thing to think about. Reconcile. Like, just give people another chance. And, you know, it's, it's funny because my daughter, Elle, will get, you know, she's three and a half. She gets a little testy. And it's bedtime we go through a routine, we do bath and brush your teeth and then a book and she always fights the routine and she'll scream at me, I don't want you. I don't want you. And it hurts my feelings. You know, as a dad, I don't spend time with her. I'm trying to help Emily, my wife, so she can avoid having to do this every night all night. And then my daughter's screaming at me. So what do I do? Get mad at her? She's three, I can't. It's like God. She doesn't know what she does. Forgive her for she doesn't know what she does. So what do I do? I reconcile. I leave the room, do what she says, and then I come back when she wants prayer and and hugs and kisses for bedtime. And I don't, don't, you know, hold my foot over and say, no, you need to be nice now and ask her to change who she is. So it really works well with reconcile with your, your kids, with your family. And so that's what the offering is today. It's your chance to reconcile with me, friendly relations. Because you guys have been slacking a little bit. So it's a chance to reconcile and do better. <laughs> and you know I'm kidding. But I just want you to stick with that in your head and think about it. You know, we have the basically the ministry of reconciliation, forgiveness, and unconditional love. And it's easier said than done sometimes, but I think it's really worth it because sticking it out, as we've seen with couples in this ministry, that it's really worth it. And it's all, in the end, is God's blessing to us and to God's glory. So thank you very much.
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Religion tells you to change yourself, but God doesn't. Poor Deacon Denny's he got to deal with that those little babies who are always telling them, I don't want you, I don't want you. And I just need to babysit them for about a week. Oh, you don't want me, El? You don't want me? Come here, let me give you a hug. Oh, you yeah. don't fight it. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Look, baby, sleep, Denny. Yeah, throat hug. Baby, sleep. <laughs> let me babysit him just a week man all your problems will be gone they will love you they say i don't want uncle rory anymore anytime you drop them off anytime because i'm always up for some babysitting all right so welcome back the religions of the world encourage us to work to please god The religions of the world encourage us to work to please God. If you want to know what's at the base of every single religion, after you sort through all the crap of the religion and go right into the middle of their doctrines, and that's how you really determine what a religion is all about, you just look at their doctrinal statement, you go right into the middle of it, and what will it tell you? You have to work to please God. God is not pleased with you. God is disappointed with you. If you. God will love you if. Always conditional love. No, God does not love you if. God loves you no matter what. And see, so that's, that's what Deacon Denny's talking about. All that stuff just goes right over your head because you can't even relate to that because you want to look at God from a human point of view. You think God thinks like you do, and you don't love anybody unconditionally, so you think he doesn't either. And that's the problem. You just got to reverse your brain. Like, whatever you think, think the opposite. Because God loves you unconditionally. He has never been disappointed with you, He has never not forgiven you for everything you've ever done. You know, it just gets me sick in my stomach if people start talking about themselves. Well, you know. Like, when I was growing up, you know, I was in drugs, and I did a lot of alcohol, and, you know, I I was all into sexual things, and blah, blah. Who cares? Shut up. Shut up, because I didn't do any of that stuff, and I'm just as bad as you. Who cares? Why are we always trotting out all the bad things about ourselves and saying, I can't believe that God loves me? If you can't believe that God loves you, you don't understand God at all. And that's all that means. And if you want to keep talking about all the stuff that's wrong with you, as if that's God's attitude towards you, you don't understand God at all. And I understand the journey. I understand the journey. I took my journey through religion, and I took my journey through sin and legalism. But now that you land in grace, you know God was never thinking any of that stuff in the first place. He just wasn't. His whole plan is different. He's not some God is standing with his foot over your head waiting to step on your head. He's not punishing. The lake of fire is not a punishment. The lake of fire is a choice you make, and God created a place for you to live so you could be with all the other people who are like you who reject a relationship with him. That's it. Amen? And so the more you live and the more you learn and the more you hear the word of God, you all of a sudden you start to hear, just put your sad story away. You, look, you've got circumstances. You've got circumstances. I, I, I talked to a friend that I haven't talked to in 40 years, I'm sure, the other day. And it just so happened that I answered the phone, because I usually don't answer the phone when, one of the, when a number comes up that I don't recognize. I just happened to answer the phone. There she is on the phone, and we ended up talking for an hour and a half, and she was telling me, catching me up on her life, and she's had some really traumatic things go on in her life, as have I, as have you. But here's the thing, God has loved us the whole time. God's attitude toward us was the same the whole time. So everybody's got circumstances. And nobody's circumstances are more severe than the other person's circumstances. And the real question is, are you going to just let your circumstances go and treat them for what they are, which is just learning experiences, some of which are excruciatingly painful? It's really painful when you figure it out that your father does, wants nothing to do with you. That he found it perfectly okay to sire you and then wanted nothing to do with raising you. Yeah, that can be really, really painful. Now what are you going to do? Walk around with it for the rest of your life and, and you know, beat your breasts and rip your robes open and stuff? Just because that's the case? He's human, just like everybody else. Okay, so he missed it. I wrote a poem about my dad, and one of the lines was, you know, how he he if he had just known what it would be like to raise a person like me, he would have so much regret because I am a learner. Not saying I'm wonderful, but I'm a learner, a sponge looking to learn I could have learned so much from him and one of the things he my dad taught me one thing one thing only there was a period in my life when I started getting bitter about racial things and he grabbed me by the throat and he said don't ever let me hear anything like that come out of your mouth again race has nothing to do with anything Go make your success and shut up about race. So now we got, you know, we got uh, all my white friends are calling me. You know, I had like 50 calls from white friends in the last week. You know, if there was ever a time when I was insensitive, of course you were insensitive. (laughs) And you're ugly. One of the guys that told me, and you're short and you're never going to get over that. But you've always treated me really well. So you don't have to call and apologize for being white and apologize for being insensitive. I'm not sensitive. <laughs> I, whenever I meet somebody, I look for their defects so I can have something to make fun of. Amen? So I'm not sensitive. I know all of y'all's defects. You want to know? Come up afterward. I'll tell y'all about it. <laughs> June's the only one in here who said, I don't have to come up. I already know. <laughs> Because every week I'm calling her, making fun of her about something. So, yeah. Well, religion wants you to work to please God. And so what do we do? We spend our whole life working and working and working and trying to overcome the fact that we did drugs and had too much sex and had alcohol. And telling everybody our story about how bad we are. We work so hard because religion encourages us to do that. And God doesn't even care. Paid for everything you ever did, stupid at the cross. And that's that. Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Paul discourages the practice of working to please God. Here's what he says, not to the one who works for salvation, for example. His payment is not paid as if it were a gracious favor from God. His payment is paid because it is what he is due. It's paid to him as what he has earned because of the work. So you work to please God. The payment is the work, but it's not salvation because salvation is free. You can't work for that. You want to go to heaven when you die? You can't work for that. You can't buy it. I don't know about you, but I'll take God's grace over my works any day of the week. Amen? So some married couples in the church at Corinth believed that sexual abstinence, celibacy for married couples is a good idea. What were they thinking? They were ascetics who wanted to gain a higher moral state through self-denial. Asceticism is self-denial. And they intended to impose their religious views on others. Look, if you're married and you don't want to have sex, go do that. But please don't talk to anybody else about it, amen? Please don't try to tell everybody that your moral code is, is everybody, what, what everybody else's moral code ought to be. Whenever people bring up certain words, my antenna go up. Whenever any, anybody brings up moral, my antenna goes up. Anybody brings up integrity, my, my antenna goes up. Because we're not moral and we're not, we don't have integrity. We can't even keep our own promise to ourselves when we set our alarm to wake up in the morning. We're banging on the clock for 30 more minutes. It's pick a time and get your butt up. The alarm goes off. Five four three two one get up. We can't even keep our promise to ourselves. Integrity. So these ascetics wanted to impose their religious views on others. Because religion is coercion. It's the desire to superimpose man's view of what is good over God's view of what is perfect. Everything God recommends to you is perfect. Stop depriving one another of sex, married couples. Perfect command. For the beginning of a perfect relationship. Well, here's the Lord's view of the religious. Mark chapter 7, verse 7, In vain do the religious worship me, teaching as doctrines, teaching as truths, the precepts of men. God doesn't need any help. He doesn't need us to teach our little things as the way. Anything men add to God's plan does not reap spiritual benefit. All right, so let's look at the passage under study verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Let's begin at verse 17. Here's what it says. So, as the Lord has assigned to each one a circumstance, and as God has called each one for a so great salvation, in this manner let him walk. In this manner let him create a lifestyle. And I, Paul give the same direction in all the Christian churches. So he's telling the Corinthians, I'm not just saying this to you, I'm saying it to all the churches. God gave you a circumstance, God gave you a so great salvation, now make a life. God wants you to be who you are. God accepts you who, as who you are. And that's not to suggest that we can't change, that's not to suggest that we don't change, but change is not necessary for God to accept us. He liked me just as well, as when I was a ghetto boy, as he does now that I am a suave international man of mystery. Amen. How come y'all don't say amen at the good parts? That was the good part. Amen. amen. <laughs> I was not joking. I am an international man of mystery. <laughs> yeah, I can't get near. It. I'll tell you, I don't get no respect. Rodney right Dangerfield of Barah Ministries. So you don't need to change who you are, because God accepts us. God gives us circumstances, and he wants us to take those circumstances and craft amazing lifestyles in spite of our circumstances. And the religious suggests that you will be more successful to the degree that you change to please God. Religion Satan's strategy against the human race encourages us to be discontented with ourselves and to be discontented with our circumstances. Amen? And you are. You are. And gosh, I hate hearing the haranguing that people do against themselves. It's like, would you cut it out? Okay, we get it. You're horrible. We get it. Say it once and then shut up about it. Move on, because it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse to stay where we are when we harangue over and over about our defects. Nobody even looks at you that way. You're mostly weaknesses. You probably have one strength, and if you're a believer in Christ, it's your spiritual gift. And the rest of you is a mess. But the people outside of you are not looking at you and saying, oh, you're a mess, except your family. All right. So God already said that part. You know, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A prophet has honor, just not with his own home, not in his own hometown, and not with his own family members. So we know your family's gonna harangue about you and tell you all the things that are wrong with you. You just look at them and you go, whatever. Brush it off. Teflon. No sticks. Sorry. Well, the recent events in the world have people very conscious of skin color. Why can't people just accept that God gave us skin color and it wasn't his intention for us to use it against each other? Instead, the Lord knew that we would use it against each other and he allowed it so that we would come to thrive in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whether racially or socially or by gender. In God's plan, there's no excuse for using your circumstances as an excuse. Okay, I got, I got the triple. All right, so I'm black. I started off colored. Then I became a Negro. Then I became a spook. Then I became a jigaboo. Then I became black. Then I became an African American. Then I became a person of color. Then I became a minority. And then I, be, uh, oh. anything but a man. Do you think I listen to any of that stuff? The only thing that race does in in my life is it gives me one more thing to make fun of. But when I look at you, I don't see your color. I could care less what color you are. I want to know how do you treat me. I know how I'm going to treat you. I'm going to treat you well whether I like you or not. That's all I care about. And now we're running around in the street for equality. The thing that always kills me is to see a black person go to Harvard, get an MBA. Is there anything better than a Harvard MBA? I don't think there is. And then what's the first thing they do? They join the Black MBA Association. What's what's MBA got to do with being black? MBA is amazing. Harvard is amazing. And now right away, you're going to make your degree meaningless by joining the Black MBA Association. That's crazy to me. When I was at Northwestern, there were 6,000 students, 600 of whom were black. And when I would go into the cafeteria and sit with my white friends, which was really means I sat with my friends whose skin color happened to be different than mine, the whole black section of students would stand up and taunt me for sitting with them, and would call me an Uncle Tom. And an Uncle Tom is a black person who likes hanging out with white people. They call me an Oreo. They say, oh, I was black on the outside and white on the inside. So I just got sick of it one day, and I just went over and gave him a lecture. And I said, you're preparing yourself for a black world that does not exist. And if that's what you want to do, knock yourself out. That's not the world we're going into These are my friends. You want to stand up and look like idiots and taunt me, taunt me all you want to. It does not bother me. It hits and it falls off. Because I'm one of these strange people who doesn't think that there's anything wrong with being at Northwestern. One of the ten finest schools in the world. There's nothing wrong with being here. I'm grateful to be here. I'm lucky to be here. I'm happy to be here. Now you want you wanna to put your fist up and put on black gloves and all that other stuff and be militant or whatever little, other, little trip you want to go on, go on it. I don't care. Well, funny thing about Northwestern, on Sunday they didn't serve meals at the food service, so I'd go home. I'd get up at 5 in the morning, I'd walk over to the L, take an L, go home, see my mom. And on the way home at 5 in the morning I'd see all the guys who were taunting me walking their white girlfriends back to their dorms at 5 in the morning. So I'd carry my black glove. What up, bro? Hey, part of the people, man. Right on, bro. This is silly stuff. That's so silly. It's so silly. Okay. I'm black. And so that gives me a disadvantage. Okay. Now what? What, should I put my finger in my mouth? Should I suck my thumb? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to focus, and if you want to be racist toward me, I'm going to punish you with success. I'm going to punish you by being successful. And then you're going to look at me, and you're still going to only see black but then when you peel down about two or three layers, you're going to see all that other good stuff, and you're going to go, what? What? You're a pastor? What? You went to Northwestern? What? You're articulate? What? You know how to dress? What? You got a manicure? What? Got a pedicure, too. Don't make me take off my shoes. You feeling me? Are you feeling me? And, okay, so I got, I got that. Okay, now let's go to Gender. Oh, I have a disadvantage because I'm male? Or I have a disadvantage because I'm female? I told you guys I got this call from this woman's association and they wanted me to come and speak. I said, you won't like what I have to say. What are you going to say? Well, you guys think there's a glass ceiling for women in business and I think that's a figment of your imagination. You're not going to like what I have to say. They didn't call me back. So they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that because they're female... That they have a disadvantage. When the truth is, men love women. (laughs) We love women. We want to be around women all the time. If we had our choice, we'd never be around men. Amen? The women are staring at me. They never thought about that. It's like, yeah, man, that's funny. That's really funny. Men do like women. Wow. Yeah, we do. And social class, what we got? We got that noise again? Okay, I'm going to blow up the whole microphone thing. All right. You got it? You got me? Can you hear me? Chat, 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 chat. test. Testing one, two, three, four, five. You got me. Good. So I don't get it. I'm sorry, I don't get it. Sorry for the rant, but I don't get it. I don't get the race thing. I don't get the gender thing. And the social thing. Okay, you're poor. Okay? Okay, you're rich. Okay. If I had the choice between the two, I'd rather be poor. Because the Bible says it would be easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Why is that? Because rich people think they can buy their way into heaven. And they don't think they have any problems. But they do. There's a great series on Netflix called Dirty Money. And it's about people who cheat the system and get caught. And it's pretty funny. I can't figure it out. It's like, once you have $3 million, what else do you need? But now you got $460 million, and you need a billion? I don't get it. I really don't get it. Deep down in my heart, I don't get it. Because you can't take it with you. All right, 1 Corinthians seven eighteen. Well, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not able to become uncircumcised. <laughs> He's not able to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He's not able to be circumcised. Or no, I, I'm adding able, I'm sorry. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised, and that's the imperative move. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. That's the imperative mood as well, and we know that the imperative mood is the mood of command. Well, Jews and Gentiles worshipping together was happening in the church at Corinth, and it was unheard of at the time. Paul suggests that if you're Jewish, at the time you become Christian, you remain Jewish. So there you are. You can be Christian and Jewish. And if you are Gentile at the time you become a Christian, you remain a Gentile, but you're also a Christian. Therefore, there is no need, if you're a Gentile, to get circumcised, which is uniquely Jewish, nor was there a need for Jewish people to undo them, their circumcision, and I'm not sure even how that would work. I would never want to do it, however, I do know that. 1 Corinthians seven nineteen: circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the mandates of God, because that is everything. Now, for Paul, who is a Jew, to say that circumcision is nothing is a jaw-dropper because circumcision was considered obligatory in the Jewish culture. And here's how Paul, who was also a Pharisee, described himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He said, I, Paul, myself, might have confidence even in the flesh. And if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh... I should have far more confidence. Why is that, Paul? Because I was circumcised on the eighth day. I followed every rule of the Mosaic law, both jot and tittle. He really didn't. I am of the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, which is the toughest and best of the tribes of Israel. I am a Jew of Jews. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. So, and then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, he's a Pharisee, as to the law, a Pharisee. If that wasn't enough, he was a Roman citizen. There was nothing better than being Jewish and a Roman citizen. Paul followed the letter of the Mosaic law. And the Jews thought that those who were uncircumcised were destined for destruction. But then here's Paul saying, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, not an issue. Circumcision was so important to the Jews that you could even circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. And you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. There was no work on the Sabbath. The Romans, on the other hand, thought circumcision was a barbaric practice. Now, Paul is acknowledging that Christ and his cross changed everything. I don't believe you heard me, so let me repeat it. Christ and his cross changed everything. Christ fulfilled the Mosaic law, and he's the only one who ever did. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 say this. For the Lord Jesus Christ himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one group and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hatred between Jews and Gentiles, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in union with himself, the Lord might make the two groups into a new man, the new creation, thus establishing peace, Ephesians 2.16, and that he might reconcile them both, Jews and Gentiles, in one body, the church, the body of Christ, reconciling them to God the Father through the cross, by means of the cross, having put to death the enmity. I think that's what Deacon Denny was talking about, wasn't he? Wasn't he talking about the reconciliation? The ministry of reconciliation that was facilitated by Jesus Christ, shedding his blood on the cross to pay for every sin we'd ever commit, past, present, and future. 1 Corinthians 7.20 Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Once you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are spiritual. There is no degree in the matter of spiritual. It is an absolute state. You don't get more spiritual, you don't get less spiritual. Why? Because the Lord accepts you as you are. Changing your circumstances does not change or improve a believer in Christ's relationship with God. Why doesn't your relationship with God ever change? Because there's nothing wrong with it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 9. So being saved is not as a result of your work, Deeds you've done in self righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. In the world, we want to have an image. In a world, we want people to in the world we want people to think of us a certain way. Oh, well, I don't want him to think. Oh, well, I don't want him to think. Well, I don't want her to think. Image. At the moment of salvation, God changes us. But we don't have to change ourselves. What does he change? He t- turns you from sinner to saint. He puts you into union with Christ. He reconciles you, justifies you. Puts you I, I said in union with Christ, he, he redeems you. He makes you holy. He makes you blameless. What would you say? He seals you until the day of redemption. He sanctifies you. All these changes happen to you, and then you get to go learn what this magnificent thing is that you did. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. But Christians take forever to accept this because we would rather redeem ourselves. Making changes to yourself does not change God's attitude toward you in any way. 1 Corinthians 7.21. Were you called while you were a slave? Don't worry about it. Imperative mood, the mood of command. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. Why? One third of the people in Corinth were slaves. Slaves had no rights, including the right to marry. They were things. They were possessions. They were not considered to be people. Slaves had no worth other than what they could be sold for. So it was better for slaves that they were free. Paul encourages them to seek freedom, but it is not imperative in the Christian way of life. Why? 1 Corinthians seven twenty-four: For he who was called to be in union with the Lord while he is a slave is the Lord's freed man. And likewise, he who was called while he is free is Christ's slave. The Greek word doulos. And there's a bit of irony. Those of us who are believers in Christ are now possessions of Christ, and we are slaves, do doulas, in 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week service to the Lord. To all those who think race is an issue in your success, don't underestimate God, because he always promotes those the world thinks are unpromotable. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You were bought with a price by the Lord, do not become slaves of men especially the religious and that is a command there will be lots of slaves in heaven because their only hope on earth was their relationship with the lord so if you don't like slaves you better get ready to like slaves if you don't like black people you better get ready to like black people because there's going to be a lot of black people and a lot of slaves in heaven who put their faith in the lord Amen? And I'm going to be among that number oh, when the saints go marching in. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited to go to heaven one of these days. Let's finish it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24. Brethren, that's believers in Christ, each one is to remain with God in the circumstance in which he was called. Mood of command. This whole passage is full of commands. Do this, don't do that. I love it. Environment is not the key to your success. I grew up in the ghetto. I grew up with three other siblings in the ghetto. That was our environment. Yet each one of us has a different level of success in life. So if environment shapes your success, then our success should all be the same. It's not. Circumstance is not the key to your success. All four of us grew up in the exact same circumstance, yet we are in very different places in our life. If circumstance was what dictated your success, all of us would be in the same same place. That's not it. So what you need to do is accept your circumstances. Choices are the key to your success. Changing your choices, though, to impress God does not work. Being married and celibate does not make anyone more spiritual like those as the ascetic couple said. Being divorced does not make you a disappointment to God. Thank goodness, amen? Because there are a lot of people over on that divorce side of the street, amen? I remember when I was on the married side of the street and I'd look over to the divorce side of the street and I would say, you know, there's something wrong with you guys It's not wrong with me. Right? That self-righteous attitude. Then I ended up on the other side of the street and I found out all these people over here are pretty cool. A lot cooler than the people over on the married side of the street, although both sides of the street are pretty good. Amen? All right. So, God is not disappointed with you if you're divorced. He's not disappointed with you if you're divorced twice. He's not disappointed with you if you're divorced thrice or four times or five times or six times or seven times, Elizabeth Taylor, amen? That's not how God looks at us. He loves you unconditionally. Our charge as Christians is quite simple. Choose God's choices for you. Choose God's choices for you. If you study the word of God long enough, you'll know exactly what God has planned for you. And your choices are best when they align exactly with God's choices for you. God always makes room for your desires and your will in his plan. And what he wants you to do is have your desires and your will while simultaneously doing exactly what he's asking you to do. And That takes a while to learn that you can actually hold two thoughts in your head at one time. God expects you to follow his direction to make the best of your circumstances. Ephesians chapter 10. See, in other words, God did not curse you because he made your skin dark. He did not curse you because he made your skin light. And just because the world wants to make that an issue, it isn't. God didn't curse you because you were a member of a certain religion. God didn't curse you because you are a certain gender. God did not curse you with your social status. He gave you those as gifts, and he wants you to take the gift he gave you and make something amazing of it. Amen? June wants to wave her hand over here. She says, amen. Amen. I know. You had it down low. So don't be afraid to get it up high, girlfriend. Amen. Even though you can't lift your hand above your head. I understand that now. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? What if we all just got that today? What if everybody was listening to this message today and believed it? We could all go back to our homes, back into the quarantine, and get out of the streets. Amen. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I was watching uh, this looting on TV. So down in Dallas, there's a black woman who owns a clothing store, high-end clothing store. Now, she's worked her whole life to get the money and everything to get this high-end clothing store. And then they show a camera video of this guy breaking her window, going in through the window, grabbing an armful of clothes. He's got on the mask because he's got COVID, you know. And I was telling people at Whole Foods, there's never been a better time to rob a bank, right? Because you can just everybody thinks it's normal for you to have the mask on. So he goes in and he grabs these clothes off the rack, and I'm thinking he's got 25 pieces. Okay, so he gets home and he's got these 25 pieces. That's great. And so, let's say those clothes were $100 a piece. And let's say he gets $100 a piece for them. So in one day, he gets $2,500 for all his clothes. He sells them all. He's got the $2,500. What's going to happen next? He's going to spend the $2,500 in one week. And he's going to be right back to who he was before, which is a moron. Only now, he is a fugitive, felon moron. What does looting do for you? Oh, wow, you got an iPhone. Wow. Excellent. It's locked. As soon as you turn it on, you're going to get arrested. Wow. What's the point? I don't get the point. But maybe that's just because I'm a coward. I'm too scared to do stuff like that. Because I don't want to go to jail. But think, think it through. Think to the other side. And you know what? I'm going to steal some clothes. I ain't going in a woman's shop and stealing nobody's clothes. I'm going to break in Nike, right? I'm going to break in the Nike store. I'm going to give me some gym shoes, some shorts, you know, some backpacks. Huh? You want reparations, not reparations. <laughs> Yeah, that very true. Denny, Deacon Denny said they want reparation, not reconciliation. Reparation for what? I wasn't around in 1940 when they were hanging black people from a tree. I wasn't. My relatives were. Does that bother me? It bothers me. I, I, when I watch those movies, I get mad. But I get mad because I don't think anybody should be treated that way. Under any circumstance. Yeah, I was watching a thing on Netflix the other day about this guy who was a pedophile and he had a, a pyramid pedophilia scheme where he molested three or four or 500 girls. And that made me mad. I don't like that. I don't think that's the way to treat people. So I think we just need to get a clue about treating people well. And that is not a social problem. That's a a one-person-at-a-time problem. How did you treat the stranger you saw today? How do you treat people? Don't be asking for a social answer to that question. Let's have an individual answer because you have control over how you treat people. Do you have the same attitude as God does? God says to you, come as you are. Do you say to other people, come as you are? Or do people have to meet your standards? That's the question. Well, it takes a while for us to learn. God expects you to follow his direction, and make the mes- best of your circumstances. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, we believers in Christ are God the Father's workmanship. We are pieces of art, created, to be in union with Christ Jesus and designed for good works, which God the Father prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He prepared beforehand the things he wanted us to do, and he wants us to orient our lifestyle around that, taking our circumstances with us. So I highly recommend that you find out what he wants you to do with your life, and I highly recommend that you enjoy the journey. All right, the closing moments of our lesson, as usual, ask you a very simple question, and the very simple question is, what happens to you when you close your eyes in this life? I want you to know that God wants you, and what he wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study are for anyone who does not have a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior, the sovereign God of the universe the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. So my question is, how often do you think about eternal things? It's easy for human beings to be concerned only with the here and now, a concern with things that busy us in our time on earth, a concern with things that are temporary. Yet we know that nobody gets out of this life alive, so there are questions about what people call the afterlife. The things that happen after we die. The things eternal. How often do you think about eternal things? Well, the Bible tells us that God's enemy, Satan, is the one who deceives us into being short-sighted. Satan wants us to keep our focus on temporary things so that we don't prepare ourselves for eternal things. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 warns us to be sober to be on the alert, because the adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan busies us with things that distract us from eternal matters. He diverts our attention to meaningless things. For example, the Bible tells us how easy it is to be deceived by material wealth, a problem that pervaded the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 18 say this. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, members of the church at Laodicea, that you, like the water in your homes, are neither cold nor hot. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, wish that you were cold or hot. Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm like the water in your homes and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation, chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord is not fond of indecisiveness. He, wants us, he does not want us to be oblivious. Because you Laodicean believers say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you don't know that you're spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become spiritually rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, not the black wool that gave you your material wealth, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I advise you to buy from me, I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. My mom used to say, none are so blind as those who refuse to see. Material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual poverty. We think only about the here and now and not about eternity. Well, what is it that the Lord wants us to see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one master and he will love the other master, or he will be devoted to one master and he will despise the other master. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Lord wants us to see the two ways to get to heaven. The first way to get to heaven is to be perfect like God is perfect because God demands perfection from us. Material wealth can't buy perfection, nor can it buy a relationship with God. Are you perfect enough to get to heaven? Well, once we sin, we're no longer perfect, according to John chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law... I'm sorry, James chapter 2, verse 10... Whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point, breaking one law, he has become guilty of breaking the whole law. Once you realize that you're not perfect enough to get yourself into heaven, the only other way to get into heaven is by means of God's grace, which is free of charge. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Now once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God makes you perfect. At the moment of your salvation, the Lord imputes his absolute perfect righteousness to you. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's grace gift of eternal life saves you. And as a result of the Lord's work at the cross, the work that paid for the sins of all mankind, including yours, sin was eliminated as a barrier between you and God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we we might become the righteousness of God in union with him. So, if you are imperfect, and if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can be made perfect by God by asking God the Father to credit your account with real wealth, spiritual wealth, his own righteousness, his own perfection, which is your admission ticket to heaven. The friend that I talked to this week said she's been baptized three different times in three different churches. And my response to that was, so, because the only baptism that counts is the baptism of the Spirit. And that comes when you do something really simple. You ask God to save you, and he will honor your request. When you ask for his righteousness, you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John 3:36 says this: He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son shall not see the resurrection life, instead the wrath of God, the lake of fire abides on him. John chapter 3 verse 17. God the Father did not send God the Son into the world to judge the world, but God the Father sent God the Son into the world, that the world might be saved through him. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. So, take the gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. Just tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of perfection. That is the moment of eternal life for you. Now is the time to think about eternal things. God wants you. And real wealth happens when you decide that you want him back that you want a relationship with him. Well, let's close with some music. The Lord pays attention to every detail of your life. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, the Lord says this, For this reason I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor worry for your body as to what you'll put on, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air, the sparrows. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. They don't harvest. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not worth much more than they? Well, you are. With the Lord, his eye is on the sparrow, so he must be watching you too. Here's June Murphy. This ain't
3: When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend. And I know he watches over me.
0: Thank you, June. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is the God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you. God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for giving us everything we need. We thank you for giving us everything we want. We thank you for protecting us and prospering us during this time. We thank you for always being an ever-present help in times of trouble. But we just pray that as we go forward this week that you keep on enlightening our spiritual eyes with your word so that we see needs and we're able to fill them. We see people hurting and we're able to say something to them that heals them. We see people who are growing and we're able to encourage them we see people who are seeking and we help them find you we ask this through the power of god the holy spirit in christ's name say it with me amen Amen. Amen. thanks for coming thanks for watching and thanks for listening